There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're doing well today. Are you doing well? You all right? Sorry, what? You're, you're fine? Yeah, not too bad? Great. Fantastic. I'm, I'm glad that you're doing okay. Now then, let me just say a few words before we begin, and this is not going to be a massive introduction. I know it's an Amber and Paul episode. You want to get to the Amber and Paul action, but I will not be talking for ages. I do, though, need to say a couple of things just before we start in order to prepare you for what you're going to hear in this episode so you can understand it better and really make the most of it. So, the pod pals Amber and Paul are back. Yay! huge audience of people all cheering and clapping. Just in case you don't know, Amber Minogue and Paul Taylor are my English comedian friends who also live in Paris. They've been on the podcast many times in the past, but not since May this year, so it's been a while, but now they are back. This episode was recorded a couple of weeks ago, not in my flat as usual, but on location at one of the world's most famous museums, the Louvre, the Louvre in Paris. The Louvre, that's how we say it in English. Yes, the Louvre, you probably know it. The Louvre, yes, that is my English pronunciation of the place. I wonder how you pronounce it where you are from. In French, it's, I think it's like the Louvre, right? The Louvre or le Louvre. Let's, let's hear, let's hear uh, Madame Google say that for us. Le Louvre. Very nice. Le Louvre. Le Louvre. Okay, but generally in English, we call it the Louvre. So, during the episode, you will hear the three of us walking around parts of the museum, describing the things that we're looking at, including some very famous pieces that you will definitely know. The art that we talk about comes from four main periods in history. There are marble sculptures from the Hellenistic period of ancient Greece. That's about 2,000 years ago, give or take a few hundred years. So, marble sculptures from ancient Greece and some French medieval paintings from about a thousand years ago. That's the medieval period. And then some Renaissance-era paintings from about 500 years ago, mainly by Italian artists, including a certain portrait by Leonardo da Vinci, not Leonardo DiCaprio, not this time. Um, Yes, a certain portrait by Leonardo da Vinci. I think you know which one I mean. Yes, I'll just say it. The Mona Lisa, of course. And we'll be talking about that painting in some detail. We mention it briefly as we walk past it at one point, but then we come back to talk about it more. So keep listening for that if you want a bit of Mona Lisa chat. We didn't chat with the Mona Lisa. Hi, Mo- hi uh, Li- Mona. Is it Mona or Lisa? I don't know what your first name is. How are you today? Sort of, it's hard to tell how you are. Are you happy? Are you? Mi- we don't know. Are you enigmatic. 
she's enigmatic isn't she so anyway we do talk about the mona lisa uh, in some detail so keep on listening to get to the mona lisa bit we also talk about some impressive french paintings from the early 19th century too and that's about 100 years ago the 19 the early 19th century so watch out for descriptive language and also general knowledge about the various periods of art on display the ways they were created what they mean or how they can be interpreted and how they fit into history now this might be challenging for you depending on your level of english so be prepared it all goes quite quickly we talk quite fast because we are in a little bit of a rush to kind of get from one piece to the next and there's background noise I recorded the whole thing on my handheld uh, audio recorder, so I had to like move the microphone between me and Amber and Paul. I think I managed to do okay, but it might make things slightly more difficult to follow than the normal. Uh, fast talking, background noise, and also references to specific artwork that you can't see unless you're looking at them too. If you would like to see the sculptures and paintings that we're talking about, then have a look at the episode page for this one on my website where I've added photos of the things we're talking about or check out the video version of this on YouTube. It's not a full video because I didn't have a camera with me. I just had a microphone. But I've added photos into the video which will appear as you listen so you can at least be looking at the same things that we were looking at while recording. And I do recommend looking at pictures of the work that we're describing. It'll help you understand this and it will help you contextualize the language we're using which is obviously important. Also watch out there is some strong language i mean swearing rude words of course it's an amber and paul episode there's usually a bit of swearing most of you are fine with that in fact a lot of you are going fantastic great we love all the rude words please um fine great uh, so most of you are fine uh, because you know that that's what happens when friends chat together but if you're sensitive to strong language or if you're listening to this with a group of young learners, maybe, if you're a teacher and you've decided, oh, an episode of Luke's English Podcast all about art that you find in the, the Louvre, this would be perfect for my class of, I don't know, 12-year-olds or something. Who knows? Uh, but it, So if that's you and you're listening to this with a group of young learners, then, you know, be warned, there is some strong language ahead, including at least one use of the C word. And if you're not sure what that is, if you're thinking, what's the C word, Luke? Um, if you're not sure, then listen to episode 83 of my podcast, which is a complete guide to swearing in English. That's me and my brother James describing in some detail all of the rudest words in British English. So if you love the rude words, then that's the one for you. Episode 83. I must say thanks to the pod pals for their involvement here especially Amber, who was our tour guide for this trip, and she does the lion's share of the explaining. She's a registered tour guide in Paris, and she brings a lot to the table here because she has a lot of knowledge about this museum and the artefacts that can be found there. So thanks to Amber. And just a reminder for you, if you like Amber's voice and you want to listen to her talking more about the history of Paris, you're in luck because she has her own podcast. It's called Pan Am Podcast, P-A-N-M. 
A-M-E, Pan Am podcast. And each episode is about a different aspect of Parisian history. There are loads of fascinating stories and atmospheric sound effects, and it's all written and recorded by Amber herself. Pan Am Podcast is the name, and the website is panampodcast.com. Pan Am, P-A-N-A-M-E, that's kind of a nickname for Paris. Uh, Also, if you want more Amber, Paul and Luke action, then check out Paul Taylor's Happy Hour Live. That's Paul's weekly YouTube live stream, Uh, specifically the episode recorded on Monday the 6th of December. This is Paul's weekly YouTube live stream, which I've just said. And on Monday the 6th of December, his guests were Amber and me. Uh, so you don't have to, you know, obviously you've missed it because this is being, you're, you're probably listening to this after the 6th of December. If you're listening to this before the 6th of December, then congratulations, you have found a way to travel through time. Uh, but in any case, um, you can't watch it live unless you have a time machine. Uh, so, but you can, you can watch the replay. So you can search uh, YouTube for Paul Taylor's Happy Hour Live. That's his channel. And then find the episode from the from Monday, the 6th of December. That's the one with Amber and me. Okay, so you can watch the replay on Paul's channel. Okay, that's enough from me now. Except that I really hope you enjoy coming with us on this cultural trip. That you're able to follow it. And that like Paul and me, you learn some things from the experience. I will chat to you again briefly at the end. But now, let's head down to the Louvre just a 10-minute bike ride from my flat here in Paris to meet up with Amber and Paul. And here we go. Amber and Paul are on the podcast. Amber and Paul are on the podcast. Amber and Paul are on the podcast. Amber and Paul are on another podcast. Paul's a very funny boy. His laugh I very much enjoy. Amber's got a lovely voice. If I could choose an accent, hers would be my choice. Yeah. Oh, it sounds different, doesn't it, listeners? I'm joined this time, everyone will be glad to know, by Amber and Paul, who are standing right in front of me now. And of course, I'm going to start with Paul. Paul, what's the situation? Uh, hello, listeners. Uh, we are currently uh, at the Louvre Museum. Uh, we are situated currently right underneath the pyramid. If you type in Louvre Museum into Google and you'll see the glass pyramid, we are standing directly underneath it with uh, Amber as well. Hello. Yes, we're here. What are we doing here? In the, this is, so this is a podcast from the Louvre, not a podcast from the Louvre. <laughs> Had to do that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just for traditional reasons. So what, what are we doing here, Amber? We are going on a guided tour. I'm taking you and Paul on a guided tour of the Louvre. And so you have knowledge, don't you? You're blessed with knowledge. Um, I, are you not like a registered tour guide? What's your status as a tour guide? I, yes, I'm a professional tour guide. I have the professional piece of paper, a flimsy piece of paper from the government saying that I'm allowed <laughs> to take you around in the Louvre. And it's exciting because you've been here before, but Paul... I've never been in the Louvre. I lived for two years, a three-minute walk away from here. Really? Yeah, and I used to work... Uh, 100 metres down that way at the Apple store at the Louvre um, and I've never set foot in I've been in underneath this bit here because you don't need to pay for it um, but I've never actually set foot in the museum so I don't know what to expect so I'm kind of excited about it also I'm excited because we're doing it super quickly whereas yeah. every time I've had friends coming to visit me and they're like oh, I'll go to the Louvre I'm like well I'll see you later then and then they come back seven hours later uh, yes. and so I'm excited to do it in, a, in, a, in the time of this podcast is this the biggest museum in the world, Amber? 
It depends what you read. Yes, it. I thought it was, but then sometimes you read it's the Hermitage in Russia, and sometimes they'll say the Met's got a bigger collection. But I think it's the most visited. It's definitely one of the biggest, and it's. I think it's got the most diverse collection. So they measure biggest museum in like square footage in amount of art that there is here amount read. of people okay yeah it depends what you read anyway so listen look before we go in do, do you know what to expect well a little bit yes but i, th- I would also like to just uh, define what the louvre is uh, and um what what what's in it so what is the louvre and am I pronouncing it correctly? Yes, you're pronouncing it. Well, it's an art museum. It's a museum full of art and yeah. artefacts. I sort of say that. Not. I mean, I kind of knew that, but it's there might be. There's there's one person listening who's like, but 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 what is Louvre? I don't understand. And so, it's in the uh, it's in the walls of the Palais Royal. No, Palais. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Amber's shaking her head. Uh, so what? Palace at some point. Yes, exactly. Well, should we get into that and go in? We'll we'll get into that in a moment. But uh, essentially, uh, the Louvre is full of cunts. <laughs> and we are the three biggest ones in here. <laughs> no, in terms of the work that you can find here. Oh, that was that was a uh, a heavy sea bomb that dropped out of nowhere I there. Know, Pow! I know. You, you might wow. have to, you might have to bleep that one out. Let's just pick ourselves up off the ground Are after you, that. So, but, but what's in it? Well, you know what you're going to see, don't you? The most famous piece in the museum, of course, is the Mona Lisa. Both of you know that, even if you've never been. Yeah. Do you know of any other things? But I mean, is it just art, or are there historical <laughs> artifacts in here? too i mean it, you know is it like the british museum which yes. is like artifacts uh, from different civilizations or is it just art by by french artists no it's art artifacts sculptures different periods a big egypt section we're not going to see oh. it all luke there's we're only going to see the highlights which does tend to be the sort of french stuff the renaissance stuff uh, even french well, who, who drew it? He's not fucking French. Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, he's not French, is he? No, but he was living in France when he died. Right, OK. And did he paint that in France? No. OK. But she was French? No. Oh, OK, none of it's French. There's nothing France about it. Why is the Mona Lisa in, 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 in France? Are we going to do the whole tour here? No, we're not. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, Paul. These are these are good questions, but have you not seen that documentary film called uh, The Da Vinci, da Vinci Code? Code? Do you know what? Okay, before we move on, because it actually happens here in the film. Uh, I think it's towards the end of that film. Uh, something happens where they go. The camera like goes through the upside down pyramid, which is over there, um, and like into the thing to like go to the to the uh, to the tomb, right? Mary Magdalene's tomb or whatever. That uh, is where the stockroom for the Apple Store used to be. So, in reality, where that was filmed, there were just iMacs and MacBook Pros and iPhones all stacked up uh, with a couple of people running around. Uh, that's, 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 that's the truth. Not quite the uh, romantic and no. mysterious uh, <laughs> version you get in the film, The Da Vinci Code. But, um, all right, so, uh, in, okay, that... You could. How much time could you spend here? Could you spend your entire life here? Look, you could just spend days and days and days and months and years and forever. There's so much to see and learn about. We're going to try and do it in an hour. We're going to do the highlights according to what most people expect to see. We're not going to see it all. So it's some of the highlights and some of the things that I think are interesting, and we're going to try and do it quite quickly. That's cool. I'm excited because I don't even know what else there is here apart from Mona Lisa because I'm, I'm not a big artist. 
So Paul is um, sort of, uh, what's the word for it? Uh, a complete novice. <laughs> what's, what's the word for it? <laughs> well, I wasn't going to drop the C-bomb again. I think one is enough for, for you know, uh, at the moment. But uh, So you're a complete novice. I know one or two things, but really not very much. I don't know a lot about French uh, art and culture, really. I should. It would be useful for me, you know, when I take my citizenship test. I'll need yeah, to know some of that stuff. But, um, but Amber, yes, you're the master. You're the expert here. So um, we will be uh, learning from you uh, as we go through this. We will, so. we will try it. Well, listen, OK, well, I can tell you what, we're going to start. So the Louvre is divided into three wings. You've got okay. Richelieu, Denon and Sully. Sully uh, has a lot of the Egyptian stuff. Denon is where the main paintings are, the sort of famous paintings and things like that. But I'm going to take us through Sully because we get to see some underground bits which I think are quite interesting and important. So we're going to go through Sully, even though we're going mainly to Denon and we're not going to go to Richelieu, we don't have time. OK, quick question. Who or what is Denon, Sully and Richelieu? Richelieu is a dude. Yeah. Because I know that there's like metro stations named after him. The other two, are they people or are they places? I think they're people. I think they are... Captain Sully, the one that landed... Uh, you mean Tom Hanks again? Tom Hanks, who Sully. landed <laughs> Sully he? from the movie Sully. Is that the? Is that the one that they landed the plane on the Hudson? I don't think that a wing, I don't Let's think go. a wing of the Louvre is named after a Tom Hanks film. Uh, although we do have the Da Vinci Code con- uh, connection. Oh yeah. Of um, so maybe t- I wonder if Tom Hanks has so ever Beyonce, been here. Beyonce uh, filmed here. You know, Beyonce's video was Beyonce. filmed here. Lupin, Lupin they filmed here. here. Yeah. Ah, the TV series, the Netflix uh, original TV series, Lupin. So we have to show our tickets here, I suppose. Amber's, Amber's come very prepared with the tickets already printed out. Uh, she's our tour guide. She's yeah. We're basically just like following her around like idiots. Um, so we're currently going up an escalator. It's very exciting going on an escalator. <laughs> have you ever? Do you ever get excited anymore? Uh, on an escalator? I used to when I was a kid. Like, oh, an escalator! But these days, it's all, I, I avoid them normally. I, I would. Just, uh, I, I get excited to, to see if people fall over on them. That gets me excited. Yeah, because then they just keep falling and falling and falling and falling <laughs> and falling. That's D- Dimitri Martin joke. Oh, is it? Yes. I fell over on an escalator and I just kept falling and falling <laughs> and falling and falling. Okay, we're going to part. We're going to go through the ticket. Uh, Ticket gate, scanning our, our QR codes here. Merci. Check out the French listeners, did you hear that? Oh, <laughs> Amber's got, got access to Amber's piece of paper card that she had to show. It, I mean, it really is a piece of paper. It's like a passport. It's like a passport, but it's it's a piece of paper in a very flimsy plastic jacket. I bought that flimsy plastic jacket. They just give you the cardboard. That's amazing. Just like everything else that's official in France, your driving license, your ID card. It's all flimsy shit. So well, I don't know. Like these days, they've got some nice plastic uh, laminated cards. It's true. Um, but that's a fairly recent development. So here we are. Amber says, don't ask me about that. Oh, my goodness. goodness. Oh, yes. Wait, we've got to describe that. So as we walk through here into, which, which one? Sully. Uh, there are various, uh, f- fres- f- f- what do you call it? A fres... What's, what's it called? A fresque? A, a, f- a sculpture. And, uh, oh, uh, okay, so it's basically a woman with one of her boobs out, and there's a man next to her, and he, well, he appears to have part of the boob in his mouth. It's basically a bearded person. Someone with a beard breastfeeding, which isn't great. Uh, what's all that about? We don't know, but uh, uh, um, what is it? <laughs> Amber, you said to me earlier that there's quite a lot of tits in this um, museum. Uh, 
well, yes, there's a lot of tits. There's the Italian section, a lot of virgins, and then the French section, a lot of tits. Tits and virgins. Okay. That's what they should put on the poster. They won't. But they, <laughs> if it was a, it's obviously a very classy uh, and respectable establishment. Um, yes. or this, is the, this is the height of, of French culture. So we don't mean to uh, lower the tone with reference to things like boobs and, and so on and so forth. But we probably will. Yeah. Um, okay, so we are just sort of walking through these rooms with high ceilings. Very well uh, kept, very well renovated. Yes. Oh, hello. Oh, suddenly we are we're walking into a... a, a, a an area where there are very old walls. Very old walls. Uh, Amber, what are these old walls around us? So this is why we came into the Sully, because this is the oldest part of the Louvre, and these are the medieval walls, like you said, because it starts out as a fortress which protects the um, west side of Paris. So this was a big fortress built by Philip Auguste, you know, keeping out the English, Hundred Years' War, all that kind of stuff. And they sort of found this when they dug out, you know, the underground carousel bit. They discovered these original walls. So these are the original walls. They haven't just rebuilt them inside the museum. No, but they look so clean. They look like they're sort of made up. But these are the original walls. So these are like, you know, the Louvre's, there's 800 years of history here. So here we've got the old original walls. We would have been in the moat. You can see a picture of what the Louvre used to look like. Was it a moat? It's the stuff that goes around like a protective wall, which a uh, pit, which kind of goes around a castle. Often, often full of water, the moat. So you got oh, there's a picture. Okay, so you got the. This one. Was the walls of Paris. Yes. This was the walls of Paris on the outside. You can see this was the outside of Paris, and it's just like this old medieval castle. Like medieval castles look, you know, it's got these towers which defend. It's got no real windows. It's got this inner keep, and it's got this moat, which is where we are. We're standing in the moat. We're standing in the moat. So back in the day, many years ago, when. The medieval period, sort of like, what, a thousand years ago, something like that? Well, it's sort of the 1100s. Yeah, okay. So, you know, in the region of a thousand years years ago, 900 years ago, we would have been standing in water at this point. This but is already why I prefer Paris to Rome, is that when you go through Rome, you see stuff like this, and there's nothing that shows you what it used to look like, and it drives me, it drove me crazy. I hated Rome. Oh, got some Romans who are, who are already getting, but they're already waggling their hands in the air right now, Paul, because you said that. Okay, but one point for Frank. And zero points for Italy there. Ooh, who's going to win in the battle between Rome and Paris? And they, so they said that these walls might have been used to keep out the English. Well, they, they, they failed now, haven't they? There's three of them in here. Three of us have... Uh, We've infiltrated. We have infiltrated. Exactly. OK, but these are very impressive medieval walls. It's amazing. As we're going through the Louvre, this is the oldest part. And like I said, it was a fortress, and then it became a royal residence... And then it became a more spruced-up royal residence. And then it became a museum after the revolution. Like, and as we're going past the walls, you can see that people have chiselled stuff into them. Can you see the hearts? Uh, wait, people have, have chiselled kind of graffiti into them. There are little hu- There are hearts that have been sort of uh, ch- marked or chiselled into the walls here. So do, when, when do these date back to? Well, they, they're original. So it's when these are the stonemasons. So no, you're they, paid. Sorry, you say they're original, but I mean... They just look look like any other hearts to me. But there'll be different symbols. So these are the stonemasons. They were paid per stone that they laid and cut. Mm -hmm. And so each different team had their own symbol. And that's why, you know, some of them are upside down. So one team cuts them, one team lays them. And that's how they're paid. So you can see up there there's crosses. And so 
you know, this is obviously the heart team we're working at this point. Oh, OK. OK, and my joke about them being original just died on its bottom there. Did you hear that, listeners? Uh, they found this place when they excavated it all. What, would, what was it covered with? What did it was they just co- underground. What, just covered in earth? Well, that's a good question, because there's this sort of funny thing where you sort of think, well, it was the, it was the road or at one point, but the, slowly things get buried. They just sort of get compressed and go down, and I think just stuff builds up on top of them. But this was also partly uh, lower than, I mean, might have been sort of some of the foundation sort of areas. Yeah, it may, it, sometimes these sorts of things are built inside a pit. So the pit creates the moat, and then they build the walls up from, from the, 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 the bottom Right, the pit. So, so they already so they already built this lower than the actual I, street level I, at the time. I, I expect so. Yeah. What's crazy? This is the first time I'm actually seeing like a, a castle indoors. Yes. Yeah, I was just thinking that too. There's like these walls of this castle, but then there's a ceiling on the top. So it's 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 quite odd. Yeah. But it's a good point you made, Paul, about how sometimes when you visit these old sites, it's very hard to imagine what the whole place would have looked like at the time. You have to kind of use your imagination quite a lot, don't you? Okay, we, uh, this is what, a mini model of the Louvre, and so you get. Hold this. on, hold on. We're sorry, we are standing in front of a glass cabinet, yeah. and inside that glass cabinet, there is a model, a mini model of the Louvre, as Amber pointed out. So, tell us more. Well, it's a mini model. So the bits that you see are completely gone. You know, they're underground. They were completely sort of destroyed and made way for the modern Louvre, and even that modern Louvre is mainly gone. So you can see it's like a horseshoe shape there used to be another building which closed it off completely and that was burnt down so it was it would have been a rectangle but it was built up slowly so it was a a cast it was a defensive place and then it was a royal residence and then francois the first you know during the renaissance he made it a bit more fancy then louis the 14th made this end the core carres the square bit at the end he made that very fancy and then stopped bothering because he went to versailles and then napoleon the third he sort of finishes off these wings although this part the grand gallery so this really 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 long part originally joined the old original part of the louvre which is here right down to where the new palace was down there and it's massive and that's where all the italian paintings are where are we right now are we are we in this square are we underground in this middle bit we're sort of in the core carry no we're sort of i think about here because okay. we're going to well, you know the other thing like what we've just seen in there they have a similar thing in the carousel like when you're in near the food court there was like there's all that sort of bit that's i, I just don't understand how that how, how this is underground. I think, again, it's just because they originally built the, the, the original uh, uh, fortress okay. would have been built in a pit, right. I guess. I mean, I'm just specu- I'm speculating, but it must have been built in a pit and then built up from the pit, and the, 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 the pit then creates the moat, which yeah. they filled with water, yeah, yeah. and then essentially then you've got a, a, a deep moat of water and then walls rising out of it. Yeah. Um, and probably, I don't know if it was, if it was water... Shit. Yeah, probably. And, and, yeah, it's just all become filled in over over time, and now that it's been excavated again. This is a sphinx, which warns you: if you turn this way, you're going to get lost in the Egyptian section. We're not going there. We're going to go this way to the Greek section. So we've just climbed up a little flight of stairs, and facing us there is a sphinx, like the ones that you have in Egypt. And yes, as Amber says, this means watch out. There's the Egyptian section. If you turn left, you could get lost in all of that. But that's not that- what we're choosing to do today i'll be honest that one looks better than the one i saw last week 
in front of the pyramids in Egypt. Egypt. I was in Egypt last week. Hold on, let's talk about Egypt because someone was just there. Okay, come on, give us the give us the uh, summary of of your visit to Egypt, Paul. I was. I, honestly, I was a bit disappointed at how like run down and how little fucks they give about their heritage. Meaning, just, meaning it, they like, don't care. Everything is run down. Like everything, the pyramids are run down. There's trash cans, like bins, rubbish bins all around. They just they don't care. Like it's really weird. Mm, that's a pity, isn't it's it? Because the, the pyramids are not in the desert. They're in the city. I mean, the city is around the pyramids. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, the pyramids are the beginning of the Sahara on the on the the east side. Yeah. And then it goes all the way to the west. But it's just, it was very. Um, this just is very run down. It's not taken care of, and it's just like the ju- just this. I'm just talking about just the bit around the pyramids where there's like uh, buildings that, have, that look like they've they've been bombed recently, and then like just people leaving their shit. There's like a a, a car. Uh, like the, the shell of a car? No, what do you call it? Like a car graveyard? Like a, uh, Oh, like a, a scrapyard. Uh, there's a scrapyard, like, stuck to the pyramids. Like, st- right, or just, like... Right next to it. Yeah, like a 50 metre... It's just, it's weird. Hmm, that is a pity. I wonder what the reasons are for that. There must be complex social, political oh, and cultural and economic reasons for that. Anyway, anyway, that was a bit... You went to Egypt and you did a show there, didn't you? No, no, I just jumped out of an aeroplane. Well, okay. <laughs> And survived. And survived. Yeah, I just I did some skydiving uh, above the pyramids. Uh, with what for, what for? Just because you wanted to? Just for fun. I got invited there by the world champions of skydiving. What? Uh, there's, there's a couple called Greg and Kareen, and they invited me and another comedian out there to to jump uh, out uh, out of a, a military aircraft, the C three uh, Hercules, like C three, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. C three C one hundred and thirty. Doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. It's the thing where the, like the the back of the back door opens like really wide, and then yeah. you just jump out. We've seen them in movies where there's always an action scene where like Arnold. Schwarzenegger jumps out of the back of it or something. Exactly. James Tom Bond. Yeah, if you've seen like one of the recent uh, Mission Impossibles, it's basically exactly what he did is yeah. what we did. Okay. Except there was 80 of us. Uh, and I was the first one out of the plane. Well, no, the camera guy was the first one out of the plane and then I was next out. Qu- quickly, what's it like flying? You know, what's it like flying? I mean, you weren't flying, you were falling, but <laughs> what, what's it like skydiving? Uh, it's If you've never done it, I highly recommend it. It's not like, it's not, it's... It's like a, it's like a really really amazing roller coaster. If you like doing roller coasters, I highly recommend doing skydiving because it feels the same of like you going down, but it feels like for a minute of just like oh the fuck is going on. <laughs> but also, I was a little bit distracted by the world champions who were flying around me and doing like different figures and doing like cool stuff around me. Um, so I was a little bit distracted by that. So I didn't. It, there was so much information, so much new information my brain had never had before that yeah. I think it's very difficult to take in. But it was amazing. Yeah. I've done sort of like big, big bungee jumps in New Zealand and stuff, and it's a bit like that. It, 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 your brain can't handle it, really. And, as a, and what happens is you just get like this big rush of adrenaline and euphoria. And when you land, you're like, whoa, I want to do it again. Yeah. Okay, great. Have you ever done a skydive? No, but I did go paragliding. Oh. 
Oh, it was pretty good. I enjoyed that. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay, so we've just walked through a section with lots of statues. Uh, can you tell us a brief thing? Where do the statues come from? Do you know? Uh, well, this section is mainly Greek statues. Some of them are copies because a lot of Greek statues got destroyed or lost or melted down. Lots of them are in bronze. And so there were lots of Roman copies. But we're at one of the most famous pieces at the Louvre. There are three very, very famous ladies at the Louvre. And this is the first one we've come across. And both of you already know her, I think. I, 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 I've, seen, I've seen it. I don't know what name. Is she, has she got a name? She does have a name. <laughs> is it Venus? It is. Oh, Paul, pow, well done. One point. You do know. Amazing. You do know. Five points to Paul for recognising Venus here. Yeah, she's so. the original uh, model in the uh, the Venus um, the Venus uh, razor adverts. Oh, yes? I don't know what you're talking you know about. The, but you know yeah. the women's brand of razors called Venus. Oh, I'm yeah. your Venus, I'm your fire, your desire. She was the original. It was a joke, it doesn't... Okay. <laughs> See, sometimes other people's jokes fall flat as well. And for once, I had an English reference that Luke did not. (laughs) I got it. I knew that. Anyway. Okay, this is... Okay, so let me tell you. So this is the Venus de Milo. It's a very, very famous piece of Greek art. She's the Venus. We think of her as Venus because of the position that she's standing in. And you'll see it in nearly all of the statues that we've gone past. You know the name of the position? Um, no, I don't. So there's only a few art words which are used really often that even if you're not that arty, you might know them, because I'm not especially arty, but it's called contraposto. So it means standing on one leg, so with one leg kind of up. So she's kind of got one leg up and one leg down. And you'll see that... In, on Instagram, quite a lot. On Instagram. And this is, like the, <laughs> this is like the Venus stance. So a lot of those Greek statues will be in that and, uh, and, and paintings done of her and other Venuses. And so that's how we often recognise it as Venus. Okay. Although, problematically, we don't have her arms. And so we the don't arms, know what her arms are doing. We don't know what her arms are doing. I mean, was she picking her nose? Was she um, waving at someone? Was she holding something? But often the, the statues taking a, taking a selfie. So, But those arms give us an indication as to what goddess they're representing because they're would have been holding something attributed to that ah. goddess so we think it's venus and it's like an incredible piece uh, the way it's sculpted you know this sort of amazing drapery her body you know she's a goddess and so i find something very interesting about her face you know if you look at it it's both human and not human there's something beautiful about it but it's also very it's not neutral but it's sort of not it's not your gran it's not your aunt it's not your sister it's no one you recognize you know she's not a woman she's a goddess She's kind of otherworldly as well. And, and is she made of marble? Yes. And so she's made of a number of pieces of marble. And you can see that there are things missing. She'd have worn a hairband. She'd have worn a band around her arm. When you get closer, you'd be able to see the holes where that was taken out. So a reason that those Greek statues were destroyed, well, I mean, there's lots of reasons, but also if they were having precious things on them, you know, people took them, uh, they melted okay. them down. And, and the same with any culture, which is sort of destroyed. You know, people destroy the things that they hold dear. One of the questions that, that Paul asked earlier I think is really pertinent when we think about the Venus de Milo. So when you see her, I don't know what your reaction is. I mean, what is your reaction? My, 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 my reaction is like, yeah, I've seen that before a million times, so it just seems instantly familiar. Yeah. It's, it's also, it, yeah. Go on. No, I was just going to say, yeah, and also, like... Why is it more important than the other ones that are exactly. in this room? And that's a really pertinent question. Why are those three pieces so important? Especially when you see them and you think, yeah, it's all right. I mean, she's, she's not 
not interesting, mm. but you feel like you need to be kind of an expert to find her immediately interesting. Like you don't look at her and think, oh, she's better than another piece. Yeah. And it's true, there are other pieces which are better preserved or, mm-hmm. or done in the same way. And it's this, what we were talking about earlier of like luck and talent and opportunity kind of coming together. And the Venus de Milo is an example of this. Like the other famous pieces in the Louvre, a lot of them, you know, she was brought into the Louvre at a time where a lot of the stuff, so Napoleon comes into power and he steals lots of stuff. And from all around. From the world. Everywhere. From the world. And then when the monarchy is re-established, so Napoleon, the Bonaparte, the first emperor, uh, the monarchy is re-established, they send a lot of those things back. Mm-hmm. And the Venus de Milo comes into the Louvre collection just after that. And so there's, they've kind of got a dearth of cool stuff. And also, and so people are like, oh, look at this new thing we've got, the Venus de Milo, she's looking amazing. And so people come to see it. But of course, where is she? Well, she's in Paris in the 1820s, a time when there's a lot of art and a lot of famous people and a lot of famous artists copying her and drawing her. And so she becomes famous. If she'd have been sent to a small museum... Mm. We wouldn't know her. It's because she's in Paris. The time that she came, because she was here at the time that she came. And so she's an interesting piece as well. She was in the right place at the right time. She was. Yeah. And now she's really famous. And she's not without interest. Okay. Can I just set the, can I just describe the scene as well a little bit, listeners, just to make sure that you, you know, are fully immersed in this experience. So, yes, we're in, I guess, the end of what looks like a long corridor with these rounded high ceilings, uh, white marble statues in various positions and then at the end of the corridor there is a uh, a sort of um, a fenced off area with a low barrier and a plinth and there is Venus standing there Um, no arms um, but in this position what was the position again? Contraposto Contraposto um, in my English accent Contraposto Contraposto and um, Sounds like you're ordering a pizza mate <laughs> yeah, I'll the Quattro Formaggio I'll have the Contraposto please <laughs> um, and uh, there are various people milling around looking staring at her taking photographs taking people, selfies a lot of people taking selfies what I find weird about selfies in a museum like this is you're taking a selfie not even looking at the art you're, you've got your back to the to the to the look at these girls here they're taking a selfie they haven't even looked at it they've just taken yes. a selfie with their back to the thing exactly that's it's ironic isn't it they've got She's that so famous because people do they recognize her they take a selfie with her they post it on instagram which is fine and then people are like oh i saw that and then when they see it they're like oh I, I recognise yeah, it. Yeah. And it she's gone viral, basically. She's gone viral. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's the modern-day Instagram model. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, we've got to, you know. But it is, it is ironic, though, isn't it, that people come to this and they stand with their backs to the item uh, and they actually look at it through their phones with themselves in the foreground. Isn't the modern world a fascinating place, listeners? There's a lot of marble in here. My God, the entire thing seems to be made of marble. It's just incredible. Okay, so we're moving into another chamber here, another high ceiling, lots of people milling around. A fresco, that was the word I was looking for before. A fresco. It's a fresco, though, because it was a sculpture. What's the difference between a sculpture and a... It might have been a fresco. See, for me, a fresco is one that's got one, one side of it. It's completely flat, and it could be put on the front of a building. Hello, listeners. I hope you're enjoying this trip to the Louvre with Amber and Paul. Now, I just would like to give a couple of definitions of things that we're talking about here that we aren't completely sure of. So a fresco and a sculpture and then a relief as well. So a fresco is actually a type of wall painting. So not a sculpture, but a painting done on a wall. 
The term fresco comes from the Italian word for fresh because plaster is applied to the walls while still wet, you see, and then the painting is done on the wet plaster. So it's kind of fresh. The plaster is still fresh and the painting is done on the the, the fresh, wet plaster. So that's a fresco, okay? A sculpture is something that most people know, I would say. It's a work of art that's produced by carving or shaping stone, wood, clay, or other materials. That's a sculpture, okay? For example, the Venus de Milo, which we talked about just a few moments ago. That's a sculpture, and it's made from marble. And then also a third word is uh, a type of sculpture which is attached to a flat piece of stone, which can then be displayed on a wall, and that's a relief. Whew, phew. (laughs) That is a relief, isn't it? I mean, I'm glad that we cleared that up. So a fresco, a type of wall painting, a sculpture, something made from a carved stone, usually, and a, a relief is a sculpture attached to a flat piece of stone, which can then be displayed on a wall. Okay, all right, let's carry on. They need to get the Swiffer out on this thing. What, what's that? They need to get the Swiffer out. The, the dust, it's dusty as hell. What's going on here? wonder why it's so dusty. Someone's not doing their job, eh? I'm not naming any names, but there is a man here who appears to be an official, um, but... Um, just it's not signs. it's not his job he's just moving signs around and looking like he's busy nice yeah we know what you're doing mate just walk around making it look like you're busy while the work isn't being done anyway <laughs> just joking amber so this is the ballroom so this is one of the older parts of the louvre and you can see this is balcony is where they'd play some music and everyone have a lovely uh, dance and it's beautiful and it looks you know more like a room that you could use or do something in because some of the places in the Louvre are so enormous they don't feel like spaces like human spaces they feel like a gallery but anyway this is ballroom uh, H for the Henry's got this big fireplace wait, wait, so you're now describing this is it a fresco or is it a statue it's a fireplace decorations it's a relief listeners okay it's a, we're describing a relief it's been sculpted from the from a large piece of rock and it's a large piece of stone and it's a huge statue on the wall above a large uh, and splendid fireplace but that's yes. not why we're here I that's just, not why we're here no i just came to show you one piece because i think you'll like it okay is this one? Oh, oh this is hermaphrodite endormi Herma- hermaphrodite sleeping and it's um what we have is a um so the statue shows um a lady um pretty much naked there is a a loincloth involved but she's lying on it but she's completely naked lying there with her uh, hands crossed in arms crossed in front of her and her head lying on those arms and uh, one foot sort of uh coquettishly maybe uh, raised up and coquettish is a, is an english word yeah like you know when you li- when a when a girl yeah, i would right. say lifts up her well, leg in a French. sort of flirtatious manner but she's lying there and her bum is revealed in all its glory to us and her bare back um yes yeah, and she's lying on this uh, gorgeous mattress which is made of marble like uh uh, like she is and it does have that quality that you want to give it a squeeze it looks really squishy it but looks, it looks really real it looks so real but this piece has been deliberately put here in this position because you have to do a 360 to appreciate it okay, so let's go. let's do that 360 so we're currently being the, the, the bum is currently facing us if we walk all the way around what are we going to see listeners if we walk around to the other side are we going to see some naughty things i don't know uh, yeah we are look amber uh, well, oh, 
what the... <laughs> I did not expect that. Although she is called Hermaphrodite, so... Yes. Yeah, well, who wants to explain this? Do you want to do it? Well, uh, I, I, I... Paul, do you want to have a go? Yeah, she has a penis. And two balls. And two balls. Right. So. Yeah, which is... I mean, I, I like... I like I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the... Uh, what, the of, penis? Yeah. <laughs> of, the, uh, of the 360 aspect of this where you have to go... You have to walk around. It's I think the kind of a comic cool. reveal, isn't it, in a sense? It's like the pullback and reveal almost. It's like, oh, it's just a girl lying. Oh, she's got a nice bum. And then it's like, let's have a look and see what else we can see. And whoa, okay then. Oh, I did not expect that. There's a... She's got a willy. And... Um, can you tell us anything about this? I mean, essentially, it's, you know, it's hermaphroditus, you know, it's hermaphrodite. So this was the son of um, Hermes and Aphrodite. And, you know, it's a Greek myth. And a lot of it is about uh, people being spliced together and gods and all the rest of it. And, you know, he goes, he's beautiful and he goes for a swim and some sort of nymph or something falls in love with him. And, you know, their bodies are bound together. And so uh, we talk about hermaphrodite hermaphrodite or anything like this is the dual sex yes uh, i guess a hermaphrodite uh, is uh, someone who is born um with sort of both sets of genitalia is that right um biologically it's very rare but people can be hermaphrodite so they have both genders so it might not be both sets of genitalia but you know you might have a uterus and a, a penis i don't know it's like it's quite complicated but this myth is very sort of fashionable in, in greece and also rome and it's been taken up really interestingly in this piece because it is something which like brings that surprise you know yeah. the piece is so feminine from one side so smooth and coquettish as you implied and even what she's lying in or they are lying on is really sort of soft seeming and then of course you have this masculine aspect to to the figure and it's yeah it's a surprise but i mean it's nice because it also reminds you if you only look at one side of a piece you know you're missing you're missing something there are many sides to almost everything it's yeah don't don't take a one-sided view because you'll be missing something exactly because it does look like there are so many naked women in sculptures you just think oh it's just another naked you just walk past it and think oh just another bottom but no <laughs> and your thoughts, Paul? Is this blowing your mind at all, or was your mind already been blown by something else? I think my mind has been blown for a long time. That, that skydive must have been. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It's, I, I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying doing the tour with a, with a, with an actual human, rather than like um, you know one of those ear guide things that like a little mp3 audio, player audio guide yeah, an things. audio guide an ear guide it would be like track number three you're standing in front of a statue yeah that now because we're doing a highlights tour we can't stop too long at each one luke yes yeah, sorry, um, sorry. <laughs> i just wanted to stop really briefly here because these are interesting for us as british people so these are part of the parthenon freeze you've just got to describe exactly what it looks like because otherwise no okay. one knows what we're talking about well i mean the parthenon in athens you know uh, was this you can see a little model of it over here so we're in a little room and it's got these um freezes which are sort of sculptures which would have been at the top of the Parthenon which was a big temple in Athens Mm -hmm. and um, we've only got a couple here in Paris and the The rest are in London I believe uh, controversially 
when the rest are in London. And Athens is very much, very clearly and very loudly asked for them to be returned. And the circumstances of why they were brought to London and Paris are basically, they were taken, they want them back. I mean, look, you know, it's only like a part. And you see, this one shows uh, a procession. So it's these young women which are kind of coming up and they're, you know, bringing stuff for this special procession. And it's slightly damaged, we're missing some heads. But, you know, it's interesting, like, how it's been put together. But in Athens, they've recreated all the missing parts in um, plaster. And they've asked the British Museum and the Louvre and everywhere else to give them back to Athens. And I totally think that France should and the British Museum should give them back yeah. Yeah. if we want to go see these things we, just, we should go to fucking Athens yeah. why, are we, why are we coming to France to visit something that's in Athens it's something, something that is a, a massively important significant part of Greek culture yeah. but the, in London and Paris we're like no they should stay in London and Paris have you ever seen, have you seen James A. Caster's yes. uh, Netflix special he does a fantastic routine he has, he has four Netflix specials doesn't he uh, uh, isn't there like in four parts where he's got four different Backgrounds. It's the first part that I'm okay, talking about. No. He does a routine about basically <laughs> British colonialism and um, how he compares it to someone who's just taken your stuff and they're refusing to give it back. Right. Um, I'm, I'm planning to do an episode about that, actually, right, um, one of these days. Um, all right, so we're now uh, swiftly moving through to other parts. Wow, there are some incredible items here. We're walking past a, a vase. Is that a vase? I've seen that vase before. Vase or vase? Well, I'd say vase, but some people say vase, but I just wanted to make sure it was definitely the right word. But yeah, it's amazing walking through the Louvre. You're like, oh, 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 I know that. I've seen that before. It's a lot of these things are just in our subconscious. Right, so yeah, that's kind of what I felt. Um, so hold on, we've just sorry. approached a little metal disc on the floor. Go on. No, this is just quick. But you see these in Paris. These mark the meridian line. This is a monument to Arago, who plotted the French meridian line. What's the meridian line? It's like how they measure time, and so you, they've got Greenwich Mean Time now, which is how we measure time. But the French used to have their own, and there was a big oh. battle between France, between Paris and London, as to who would have the Mean Time, uh, London one. And <laughs> the, but they have this all through Paris, these little discs, and it happens to go through the Louvre, so they put it in the Louvre. But it's just oh. there's nothing about it; like you don't read anything about it. I just I just like it. It's a nice little touch. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. What you were saying about. Um, you know, you're, you're, you see this stuff and it's in your subconscious. Uh, I, it, uh, going back to Egypt, I felt very much like that seeing the pyramids. I was like, yeah, I've, I've seen them so much in photos and videos and documentaries and all this stuff. Yes. That when you're in front of them, you're like, yeah, I, this is everything I thought it would be. Except for all like the rubbish and all the crap that was behind it. But you're just yes. like, yeah, all right. It's, I mean, I'm also very unimpressionable. Like, I, I think... Unimpress... Unimpressionable. You can't, you're not impressed easily. Yeah, I'm, it's like stuff doesn't like blow me away as much as, I think it's, it might be the fact that I, I traveled a lot as a kid and I also like my, my previous job at Apple, just traveling all year, like it just, I, every, every city I'm like, yeah, it's like every other city. Like it's, I, I, it, I don't know, yeah. I, I don't yeah, appreciate you, stuff as you, much you, as, yeah, yeah. as I used to, I think. But yeah, the pyramids was the same sort of thing where you see uh, Venus and you're like, yeah, this is exactly how I thought it would be standing in front of the pyramids. Yeah. Instantly familiar. Yeah, you, you do have to use a lot of imagination, I suppose, to kind of like block out all of the other stuff, like, you know, all the people walking around 
around or the, the car scrapyard yeah. and just to sort of imagine what it might have been like at the time it's the same when you go to Stonehenge yeah. Yeah. you know it's, it's Stonehenge is basically next to a huge car park exactly. and, a mo- and a motorway there you go and so, so you Stonehenge have to, was yeah. exa- it was exactly the same feeling yeah with Stonehenge you have to imagine that you're, you're approaching it f- across the countryside like in some episode of Game of Thrones or something you know um, a large sort of procession of people approaching Stonehenge it's at the top of a of a of a of a hill uh, and there would have been other standing stones on the way and so you think about it in context it would have been a lot more impressive but you've got to you, you work with your imagination a lot I think in those situations okay we are stopped at the bottom of the stairs because this is the second very famous piece in the Louvre and the re- and for lots of different reasons but the way she's been put here in this position is amazing so you get this like full view so let's walk up the stairs and we'll... who, who is she so this is uh, the winged victory of Samothrace so it's, can I just describe what it looks like? It's a, it's a, a bit like Venus de Milo that we had before, uh, but this is a statue in that same position. What was the position called? Contraposto. So it's contraposto, but she's got wings, no arms. The arms have come off at some point, and the head as well. But uh, it's very impressive. And we're, as we walk up the stairs, we are looking up at the statue. Hey, which see, this is, is this, is this two out of three in this section, or two out of three in the whole museum? I've, I've never heard of this. I've never seen it. I don't know any of uh, nothing. Okay. Well, you're about to find out, Paul, as Amber tells us. So. Okay. So the winged victory of Samothrace. She represents Nike, the goddess Nike. Oh. What Nike, like in the footwear? Yeah, exactly. Which is victory. Victory. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, it's a really interesting piece because she's really amazing so this is the prow of the ship so it's this idea it obviously represents some sort of naval battle that they were victorious in and she's come and she's landed on this ship but of course you know she could fly away at any moment you know victory comes but victory goes and the piece itself is amazing because like if you look at her body and the drapery I mean it looks like she's being blown by the wind you know she looks like she could fly I mean this is tons of marble we're looking at but it is so detailed like it looks wet it looks windswept it looks like it's wet and see-through. It looks like her, the thing that she's wearing is see-through. It's really good. Exactly. And these wings just, uh, they look like they're moving. You know, she's got this tension between her body, which is solid at the bottom and just so light at the top. And even though we don't have her head and her arms, we still kind of get this powerful feeling of her. Yeah. And I think people really like this piece because it looks so amazing. You know, she's so famous because she kind of looks really cool, yeah. more cool than a lot of other stuff. And it is partly because of where they've put her and how they've put her. I mean, it's interesting, like, her restoration is different to how they would do today. Like, some of it, one of her wings has been a plaster cast. Like, they recreated it. They only found one and sort of stuff like this. But, you know, we don't know what her head was doing. We don't know what her arms were doing. But, you know, I feel she, unlike the Venus de Milo, is more impressive just as a piece. You know, she earns her celebrity, in a way, by being kind of amazing. Well, what's weird is the room around looks like it's brand... looks like they renovated it yesterday. Like, the the wall... Like, this this whole room... It's in very good, yeah, good condition. The, the, the marble floor, less so, but the walls look like they've been renovated very recently. Um, and yeah, when you, you know, we're talking about what is the appeal of, of this kind of thing and how do you, you know, what makes it good? Well, certainly one of the things that makes this good is just the artistry involved and the level of skill involved. And that's a, that is quite marvellous to, to 
to observe. You know, the as you said, the fabric on her body is so well uh, sculpted that it really does look like a very thin piece of fabric that's maybe wet. It's been sprayed by the water from the ocean. And, it, yeah, it is incredible mastery uh, of, of uh, sculpting, sculpture. And the wings, the detail on the wings. I mean, you're absolutely right. You do get a sense of lightness and, and weight and texture and all those sorts of things. Absolutely amazing. Is this the, uh, the inspiration behind that Titanic scene? Like, it must be. They must have taken inspiration for this, where she's got her arms out and she's like, oh, I'm like, yeah. it must be, because it's the same thing. I think you might be right, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know, but, I mean, it is a really famous piece, but, like, it does... Her wings, because she doesn't have arms, we get that feeling that her arms are her wings. I mean, it might look odd if she had arms, but it's sort of like... It's Greek, you know, and the Greeks, they love bodies, you know. They start with, you know, they have the Olympics. You know, when you see Greek art, it is all about this adoration of the perfect body and sculpture it and making it and creating it and I mean it does it looks amazing yes Just her arm like the, the, her, her left arm the one to our right is like is severed off like very cleanly like it's I don't know if it was because they've just sanded it down or whatever you maybe they made it. it look a bit more presentable well one wing and part of the bust were recreated so if we'd have found her now so this was found like a, you know 100 odd years ago we probably would have just placed her as found as was, yeah. but you see they restored her and they actually restored parts of her so it would hold together. I yeah. think that was a good idea because I think it looks much more awesome. Yeah. But yeah, yes, yeah. so that part might well have been part of where it is restored. Right. Let's keep going because we're on our highlights tour. Okay, we're going to keep so moving forward. Two out of three, have we? Of the big three, the two, big three famous ladies. Two out of three of the big oh, oh, three. Oh, there's the third one. Oh, I think we might know which third uh, famous lady we're going to see. Uh, we have mentioned <laughs> this person already. For a laugh, what you, I, like, you should just take people on tour and just are on purpose not do the Mona Lisa just to see how angry they get <laughs> with you to be like sorry did you why are we oh what you wanted to see her I didn't I didn't realise <laughs> the who the Mona what I don't know what you're talking yeah, about I don't know if I've seen her we're walking through um, into the uh, Salon Carré which is where they used to big, do big art exhibitions this is where we see some of the medieval art so some of them really famous like this piece the um Fra Angelo, um, uh, well, it doesn't matter. We're not it's, 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 it's the stigmatisation de Saint François d'Assise and uh, St. Francis of Assisi receiving the stigmata. Francis of Assisi receiving the stigmata. The only reason I'll point it out really quickly is we're going to go down that really long gallery, yeah. down the Renaissance gallery, and there's this sort of feeling that, like, you know, we just looked at something Greek, you know, so, so, so old, and it looks so human, you know, so perfect, the body. And then you look at this art by Giotto, and it looks weird and, and flat and strange, you know, this, this medieval is, art. This is a painting. It's uh, a piece, yeah. which is painted on wood, and it's in gold, and you see Francois of Assisi's, and, like, the perspective is wrong, and people are really impressed with this for lots of reasons. One of the reasons is because they're saying, oh, he starts, you know, using perspective. And it's kind of like people feel that everyone lost how to paint and make things and then they found it again in the renaissance it's more complicated but yes. <laughs> you you this is sort of earlier pieces and we're going to go down the italian what, what's yeah. the time difference there between the, the stuff that we've just seen it's like a thousand years isn't it yeah well more, so, so this is the ancient greeks were just sort of uh, you know around the time of uh, maybe giving away my ignorance but around the time of the roman empire so we're talking about you know before christ yeah, and then here we are in the medieval 
Is it the post? It's sort of the Renaissance. Sorry, pre-Renaissance. So, so what, what kind of year are we talking 1100s, about? Eleven hundreds, twelve hundreds. Yeah, medieval period. Okay. So we're walking past all this medieval art, and it's um, you know a lot of it's it's all religious in theme. Exactly. It's very impressive. Okay. Yeah, this is the Grand Gallery, and like Paul was just saying, you've seen it. This is an iconic kind of view. If you've never been to the Louvre, you've seen this perspective of it perspective and it's just really it's full as we're, we're going to walk down quite quickly because we can't see everything but it's full of like italian renaissance drawings and so that's basically the virgin mary and saints so if you look left and right it's just saints virgin mary saints virgin mary and there's jesus. Be, there'll be jesus and there's jesus, jesus as a baby and there'll be loads of paintings you recognize you'll be like oh i think i've seen that before yeah. oh i think i've seen that before they're so big this is the, uh, the corridor where all the french uh all the French public holidays were created in this <laughs> gallery right here because it's all about Jesus. Yes, that's right. So obviously, I don't. Again, we're being flippant about uh, some of this stuff, but we're just, you know, keeping it light. But it, you know, I don't know. I feel like we should be maybe speaking in a more respectful tone. Uh, but it's okay. People, people don't listen to your podcast, Luke, for the respectful tone of it, do they? I don't know. Come on, but, listeners. T- t- listeners, tell us. Uh, We're not stopping at a lot of the paintings, which are quite famous, but we'll stop briefly here at these ones because these are very famous. These are by Da Vinci, and France has some of the biggest collection of Da Vinci paintings. He didn't paint that much. He didn't paint that much, draw that much, or or make that many frescoes, but each one he did is, like, the most famous one of all of that things. (laughs) Like, you know, he's got, like, a few paintings, and it's like, that's the most famous painting ever. He's the Beatles of of medieval (laughs) art. (laughs) Renaissance art. Yeah, exactly. It's like one fresco like the last supper the most famous fresco of all frescoes (laughs) you know he's got one drawing he doesn't have that many drawings but like that one you know the vitruvian man you know the most famous drawing of all drawings so he's really kind of yeah knocks it out the park each time every single time smashes it so like basically he's like i don't know like the yeah someone really good i couldn't think of an example Uh, anyway so yes well i've definitely seen a lot of these before yeah. I've not seen any of them. Again, it's because I'm not. I'm not huge. I've. Ne- I was never really into art, so I. I none of them. I recognise none of them. Uh, so it's one, two, three, four, five. One, two, yeah. three, four, and the fifth is Simone. There's a girl Wait, there with the raising it. F- but we're there's five paintings. Oh, that one's not his. No. That's kind of awkward. Embarrassing, right? To well, share the wall. But there's yeah. there's a lot of pointing going on here. There's a there's a, a, a chap to, sitting down yeah, on he's a. Pointing to the next painting. She's pointing upwards. There's a chap sitting here. Um, with a stick in his hand, and he's sitting on the on the ground, and there's like nature, like you know, in in nature basically, and he's pointing towards the stick. What's that all about? Oh, I don't know, but this is from Leonardo's atelier. I just read, so you know, the Italian artists worked in ateliers, so people it's workshops. Have... Yeah. So we've got so the, the Da Vinci paintings are. Um, you've got this one here, which is John the Baptist. The really famous one, which is a copy as well, they've got in the National Gallery in London, which is Madonna on the Rocks. So you've got the Virgin Mary there. Um, Sounds like a cocktail, doesn't it? I'll have a Madonna on the rocks. You might know who they are. Let's see. Paul, we'll do some art appreciation. So who is in the painting? Absolutely no idea. You you don't know. Go on. I I, I literally, I have no idea. Did you just say the Virgin Mary? Okay, so it's her. Yeah, it's her. And then who else is there? 
Well, there's two, there's two, there's two babies, cherubs. Yeah. No, are they cherubs or babies? They're babies. They're just babies. And another woman. I don't know who. I've got no who idea. is the baby? You know Jesus. who the baby is. It's always Jesus, Jesus. right? Okay. In the Italian Renaissance paintings, there's Mary, always. You'll often see her in blue, like you'd see. You'll see a baby, her son, Jesus, and then you'll see John the Baptist. And they are always together. Not always, but often together. Right. And John so, the well, John the Baptist, he announces Jesus. You know, he sort of comes before. And so this is John the Baptist. She's got her arms around him and Wait, he's sort sorry. of praying. He, he, he announces, what do you mean he announces Jesus? It's a bit like at a comedy show. It's like, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage. The Jesus! And Jesus, he's so he, going so he, to be he there. He announced him when? When he was that young? Because they, uh, they're not speaking at age. No, that's, well, no, they're not speaking. And who's, the, it's, who's it's, the mum? Who's John Baptist's mum then? Uh, that's, oh God, no, isn't that Mary's mum? Mary's sister? Mary's aunt? I can't remember. I'm too confused. Oh, all right, um, so you don't even know who no, the people are in the painting. Know, just know right. the children. You always know who they are. Okay. You know, they always so come together. So how do you know Jesus is, is that? Because someone's it's pointing Jesus. at him. Basically, you know that in paintings, there's a lot of symbolism. And when someone is pointing, they, they're usually pointing for a very good reason. They're okay. not just, like, randomly pointing. Okay. So one of, the, one of the girls here is pointing at one of the babies, and that has to be Jesus. And the other, one, the other one looks like he's ordering a coffee at a, a shop. He's like, excuse me. He's got his hand... What, the other baby has got his hand up yes, with Jesus. two fingers. He's blessing. He's blessing. Wait, hold on. Jesus is this one. Oh, he's, what, not the, he's not the one that Mary's oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. I, I, I assumed that there so there's a girl pointing at one of the, the, the babies. I assumed that the baby being pointed at was Jesus. And then the other baby is doing a sort of blessing. He's blessing. You know, He's like, doing the blessing. Yeah. Um, so it's Jesus that's doing the blessing. That's right. To, and so, uh, okay, so basically the girl's like, bless that one over there. That's why she's pointing. It's like, uh, the baby's like, I want Jesus, I want to bless someone. She's yeah. like, bless him. Bless you. Exactly. A chew. A, a chew. And I mean, it's interesting because she's in this very unusual space. You know, a lot of these places that you'll see Mary and Jesus and the rest of them are in sort of like quite bucolic or quite ornate places. But here it looks like they're in this cave and mm. it's all sort of dark and unusual. So it's sort of a, a curious setting which sets it apart from other paintings. Yes. So that's a, that's a famous... Okay. okay. Guide on a on a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> it looks like it. Someone's got a device there, but it looks like a Nintendo Switch. But I don't know what what's this going on. Painting, anyway, this painting, the Belle Ferronnière, which is not actually called the Belle Ferronnière. Don't worry about it. It's a very long story, but she's really interesting because she's kind of beautiful portrait, not dissimilar to the Mona Lisa. We could say. I mean, obviously, the background's not the same, but this used to be much more famous than the Mona Lisa, Ooh. and everyone's like, oh, this was the painting because they had this backstory about her because they thought she was the mistress of the king and so everyone was like oh this was the painting that everyone was really interested in but you know she lost her uh, she lost her mojo she was well, usurped she lost her mojo uh, meaning everyone's like eh, she's not that good anymore yeah. the Mona Lisa's the sexy one and we see how you can tell us why oh well, yes exactly if you know okay so we're, we're slowly making our way through these renaissance paintings by Leonardo da Vinci there's a there's a statue of a man with his with his, uh, his todger out. Yeah, another, another one. Okay. More penises. Another Da Vinci one. We're just going quickly because we, we don't have much time. But you obviously can see it's Da Vinci. We see Mary. We see St. Anne. That's her mother. We see baby Jesus. Always the same. You with know, the lamb. With the lamb. And the lamb means in paintings the, the of Jesus. Lamb of, the lamb of God. Exactly. What is the lamb of God? 
Well, it's about the sort of... Exactly, it's about the sacrifice. So a lot of those Renaissance paintings will have Jesus, Mary, John the Baptist, St. Anne or someone like that, and then either a Bible, a cross or a lamb, which, you know, foretelling the crucifixion, the future. I see it represents that there has to be a sacrifice, um, and that is a central theme in Christianity. Um, Obviously, the story of Jesus, we know how that ends, that he died for our sins. Um, he was sac- a sacrifice for the sake of humanity. Um, photos in there. So we're, we're now we're now walking forwards through this large gallery. At uh, we're, we're picking up the pace here, walking faster, uh, in order to get to the next piece that Amber would like to tell us about. What are we, so we're looking at here? Is a yeah? Go on. So can you describe what it looks like first? This is a painting by Raphael. This is another one of the big, big Renaissance painters. You know who it is, obviously. Mary and Jesus and John Baptist. That's right, exactly. Mary, Jesus and John the Baptist. We see Mary. Very different to it in the previous. They've spent the winter somewhere. They're all blonde now and very, very white-skinned. Yeah. So and, and they're a bit, maybe a bit taller than they were in the previous one. Um, one of them's got a stick. One of one of them's naked. The other one has got a, sort of a basic kind of um, item of clothing on. But Amber, go on. Well, no, nothing really. It's just that it, you know they're both massive Renaissance painters, really respected, really different kind of background you have here. Like Paul said, it's a lot brighter. It's bucolic. It's outside. It's nature. Bucolic. That's a good word. Countryside-y. Yeah, I didn't realise bucolic was. Bucolic means in nature, like with lots of nature around. Yeah. Mary is blonde. You know, she's looking down at Jesus. He's hold. He's standing on her feet, which is very cute, like a, like children do. Yeah. He's holding in his hands the Bible. This foretells, you know. But his... wait, oh, the the Old Testament, I suppose. Well, no, probably the New Testament. Well, how how can the New Testament be written before Jesus? It's just a story, you know. It's an allegory. It's not real. It's not. It's not a paint. It's not a painting of what actually happened. It's a symbolic journey. So uh, so the the paint. Yeah, this is an interesting thing because, like, you know, at at this time in this history, because we're used to photographs and realism, we imagine that a picture is. Uh, somehow a representation of a thing that happened but these paintings are all symbolism it's all it's all symbolic isn't it rather than realistic right exactly yeah precisely and then again we have john the baptist he's holding the cross he's looking up at jesus jesus is looking at mary she's looking down at jesus everyone's looking at jesus and it has that classic you know triangle pyramid kind I do of pose one thing uh, that's yeah. in common with the last two paintings is that mary does have uh uh, her second, her toes. Uh, the, the second one is bigger than the than the big toe. There's some longer. some people are like that, aren't they? Yeah. Their, their second toe is longer than their their yeah, big toe. I, so that must have been a thing, because in all the paintings, that's the case. Under what what does that mean? Do you I think? Don't I don't know. My grandmother says it means you're going to live a long life. Okay. All right. Do we know how long Mary lived? She lived quite a long life, didn't she? Probably for the time. I expect life expectancy in those days was pretty low. You've got a choice now. We can go straight in. Let's go straight in. Let's go straight in. Okay, we're going to do it. What was the other choice? Hold on, what was the other choice? Not go straight in. You can see another painting of Mary looking, like, not great. No, we want to get to the the top prize... Walk past. There's, there's, there were way too many people in that room for it not to be the room. Okay, we're now moving into another part of this massive museum, away from this main gallery and into a large uh, rectangular room with another high ceiling. It's quite bright in here, and they have 
those things that they put up when there's a large queue. You know, you get them in airports. What do you call these things? Uh, um, stanchions. Stanchions. Well done, Paul. Wow. Check out the specific. The only reason I know that is because I get. I, I, do, will I ever do a podcast where I don't talk about a time when I worked at Apple? Uh, hopefully anyway, not. But obviously, working at Apple, product launches. Every time an iPhone came out, the queues were insane, and so we just we had to bring out the stanchions. Right. So there are stanchions arranged here in order to, uh, you know, create uh, zigzags, and so that the queues will be managed correctly. And big, massive loads of stanchions, and at the end there is a certain special painting. Yeah, it's the Mona Lisa, of no. course. Yeah, drum roll. <laughs> Mona Lisa. <laughs> Ask Paul. Right. Do you want me to give you my honest opinion? First of all, tell us. Yeah. First of all, I didn't realise when you because I've seen a lot of people taking photos and I've seen a lot of photos of the thing. I didn't realise it was like in a. It, so the, the room is like a rectangle, and in the middle of the room, kind of like a, if you had like a bookshelf separating your bedroom from the main room in your studio house, yeah. uh, there's like a, a, a wall that's up in the middle from the ground up that doesn't go to the ceiling. I thought it was up against a, the, the wall of the the room. Yeah, the, back the, wall the, of the room. The room looks very different to how I imagined it. I thought the room was only going to have the Mona Lisa and from what I'd understood is this massive mural opposite which there is I didn't realise there was going to be so many other paintings in the room so first of all it's the smallest painting in the room pretty much yeah uh, which makes it very un um well it's, it's impressive yeah I guess that like it's it's, it's 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 it seems to be quite uh it seems to be quite a modest little picture having said that the wall all around it I mean, makes it obviously the centre of the room because this wall that's been erected is like it's just blue, like dark blue, with her in the middle of it. Yeah, um, it's difficult to describe this wall, but it yeah, looks imagine like it, the Arc de Triomphe a little bit. It's just like a kind blue. of a, a stone wall that's just erected in the, in uh, one end of the room. You can walk behind it, you can walk round it, but it's erected only so that they can present the Mona Lisa. I expect there's a lot of security here. Mm. I get the impression that there's probably you know lots of alarms and maybe even uh, yeah. shutters that come down if anyone tries to steal it or touch it it has been stolen it in is the, past. the only thing yeah it's behind a glass wall or a, a perspex a perspex whatever it is behind a screen yeah but honestly like looking at like for me like i can imagine not that i'm a good painter but i could imagine if i was to paint stuff i could imagine painting something that size yeah like that's a human sized like you this thing so, this so mural Paul is referring to the mural which is on the back wall opposite the Mona Lisa I, and it's huge I mean it is absolutely massive it must be about I don't know how many how many metres high that is uh, I, just, I don't understand how like I, I for me that painting that is unfathomable like I don't understand where you start painting that thing yeah. and how you know the the, 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 the sizes you the know, dimensions the, the, getting all the, the dimensions, dimensions right like, do you start with one human I mean there's about 45 humans in that painting yeah. and like which one do you start with what like that for me is way more impressive it is amazing and you've got Jesus right in the middle staring at us yeah. he's the only one who's making eye contact with us the rest of them are just involved in their oh, other no no some people maybe are looking at us but certainly Jesus is directly looking at us whereas all the other characters are involved in other things and it's very striking when you look in the middle so this is where I need Amber what am I missing that that is the most impressive thing in this entire museum the Mona Lisa well it's not not the most impressive thing in the entire museum. I mean, you're exactly right, and actually what you were observing is completely true. Like, the human size of it is spot on. You know, it was a commission by a man to paint a picture of his wife. No one's going to want their wife 
70 metres squared. Like the piece opposite <laughs> that you're talking about is like the wedding feast at Cana by Veronese. It is the biggest painting in the Louvre. Like you can't put that in your flat. That's bigger than most people's flats yes, in yes, Paris. Yes, yes. You know, you, you're going to want something a bit more normal. It's like, can you paint a picture of my wife? Yes, make it living room size. But why is it? But why is a painting of some guy's wife? worth more or worth more than this massive like feast of Jesus with the thing of like a, that doesn't fit in a house what is the significant why is this such a significant piece of work why are people queuing up for it taking selfies and photographs I mean uh, you know they're all probably thinking well I better take a photo of this I know it's special but I don't really know why better not say anything to anyone but um, why is it so special value and worth are really complex ideas you know there's recently there's all that you know non-fungible dada like what is what is is non-fungible tokens these are things that are basically well sort of oh it's too hard to explain it's too hard to explain but it's like what is something worth what is its value like these are not intrinsic ideas like it's not because it's this you know they become more valuable you know why in in Van Gogh's life was he like living you know impoverished and now his paintings are selling for millions like what does it mean and when it comes to art it's more complicated the Mona Lisa is a lot like any celebrity and we talked about it earlier she's famous because she's famous she's famous because she's by da vinci da vinci's of course a really interesting and complex artist so his art is interesting independently especially for other artists but she spills over into the into our world into non-artist worlds for various reasons and one of them like luke said you know she was stolen and it caused a big scandal mm, and it, and she kind of like hit the newspaper and that scandal kind of spilled over into other areas of life and then when she was found again this was like big news it changed a lot of stuff people started seeing her and then other artists started reacting about this saying this is bollocks why is everyone losing their mind it's just a painting of a woman and they started you know the Duchamp with it you know she's you know that painting and you know Andy Warhol redid her in pop art you know her image became bigger than herself and it's her celebrity which is famous more so arguably than the actual piece even though the actual piece from a, like an art point of view is an interesting painting like we could go close and look at some of the details and I'm sure you'd be like wow that's really cool I do but, like it I, I, I actually do like the painting I think you know she's got this enigmatic smile as people always say and the background is fascinating like what is in what is going on in the background there is the incredible landscape behind her and um, and also you know like you said you know her being famous people there's a lot of interest in, in it and uh, then so you know um, Dan Brown decides to include her in his book because yeah. that's going to capture people's imagination and then Ron Howard makes a movie about that book and then suddenly it's it's become immortalised again in, in, in a movie with Tom Hanks and people start going oh you know there is lots of, sort of secrets and, and mysteries about this painting and so people just become fascinated by it without really knowing why. It's, it's a fascinating study into human nature and psychology and stuff is it like out of the 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 paintings that he's done is it like technically like the the best yeah the like did he use techniques in his other paintings that were that were not as good is this like the refined is this like the you know if you were doing comedy stuff like the dave Chappelle, like the you know like is this his final special where it's like he's he's honed his his craft and this is the final one or did he do other ones afterwards that were technically better like what's the no I think from a technical point of view you're right it is a sort of honing of his craft you know making something incredibly delicate and it's interesting because 
because a guy did commission him to paint it. It is a picture of a real woman, and he never gave it to him. You know, he never fit. That's the mystery. Why were you still tinkering around with it? Like, he really liked that painting. He brought it with him from Italy when he moved to France. He was always sort of apparently, you know changing it and adapting it he never finished that commission and gave it to that man like, so, the, you know. so the guy never got the picture of his wife because <laughs> da Vinci held on to it and continued working on it yeah what was going on and there's that makes people speculate like was da Vinci having an affair with her and blah 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 and there's stuff no evidence of any of that I mean that speculation is it da Vinci in drag da 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 who's the woman what's going on that just comes around from her celebrity you know yeah, right. and when we say the Mona Lisa you know what painting I mean so it's an easy reference yeah, yeah. if I said oh Paul did you see the the, the belly yeah, you're yeah, going to be yeah. like, I don't know what you're exactly. talking about. Well, and, it, and I guess it's the, you know, if you were to, to, to bleed it over into humans as opposed to artwork like it's kind of like a Kim Kardashian thing where she's known for being known like she you know she doesn't do anything specific it's not like Steven Spielberg who's known for making films or you know uh, Ed Sheeran who's known for making music or the Beatles the music you know it's like she's just a celebrity she's not even like a TikTok person or a or a YouTuber she literally just is she was on a TV show I think but that that, to me so it's it's basically like that she's part of our collective conscious Consciousness. Yeah. It's 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 a very fascinating thing. Is that exactly? So, if you want, we could look at the painting behind her instead. Yes. She look behind. In, oh, in front, she, Mona gets to look at this painting, and this is a painting you mentioned, yeah. Paul. The big, we can do, the big one. We can do a big one. Okay, we'll, we'll do a few minutes. Right, you can do some art history deduction. So, what is the painting? What do we see? Perhaps stand in the middle Let's go. so we can see it uh, in all its glory. Um, listeners, I'm aware that obviously you're all desperately wishing this was a video, but it's not, it's audio, so you only have to focus on the words, which is yeah, good, isn't also, it? If you're really interested, you can Google everything that we've seen and you'll be able to find the, the paintings that we're talking about. Um, I, like you said, art history, I never did art history ever, so I don't know anything. I, all I know is that it looks a little bit like The Last Supper, but a bit more festive. <laughs> People invited there to this are one. many people. Shall I? Uh, shall I describe it, yeah, Amber? So, so you've got. Oh, I don't really know how to describe the location, but there are many columns on either side, uh, and then we've got a sort of a, a kind of a mezzanine or a balcony, and in front of that there is a large table set for a feast. The table is in the sort of uh, the, the the sort of U shape or C shape, which is the perfect shape for me for a large group of students at an, in an English language class. It's my preferred desk <laughs> arrangement. Um, anyway, and there's lots of stuff going on. As I said before, right in the centre of the table, there you see Jesus Christ uh, staring right at us with, uh, is that a halo? Yeah. A, a halo around his head. Is that, is, is that Mary next to him with, a, with also a halo? Exactly, okay. yep. Okay. And then in front, there's, there are musicians playing music. There are people, uh, there's all sorts of festivities going on. All sorts of interesting people from different sort of um, origins, it seems. You've got people with, you know, uh, different, different uh, ethnicities in there and all sorts of interesting characters. Each one is fascinating to look at and there's lots of action, lots of things going on between each person and lots of talking and disputing and entertaining and magic being displayed and people drinking and eating and just so many things to look at. Dogs and wine being poured and all sorts of stuff going on. And there's the sky in the background with birds and clouds. There's, there's meat. There's like, look, looks like the guy in green over there is a butcher. He's, he's butchering some sort of meat that's being served on the plates over there that's maybe going down to the feast. Exactly. Oh, and and, and there, are, there are people, sta- people standing and looking down and all sorts of things going on. It's 
it's a very, very vibrant and uh, uh, lively uh, scene. Well, you've actually teased out quite a lot of the information. So you can see it's a feast. It does look like the Last Supper because we've got Jesus in the middle, but it is more festive. So it's not a feast. It's a wedding feast. So it's okay. a wedding. But it's also the, one of the miracles uh, of Jesus. What miracle is it? Oh, turning bread into wine. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Turning water into wine. Exactly, you nailed it on the first show. <laughs> if you turn bread into wine, they'd be like, that's great, but we've got no bread now. Uh, but <laughs> never in France. The French would never accept bread into wine. No. Um, exactly, turning water into wine. You can see that Mary, she's holding her hand. It's empty. We've got this wine being poured. And like this guy here, he's like, what is this wine? Uh, okay. He's having a look at the wine going, hmm, this wine seems interesting. What is this? And there's another one it, um, being served, the wine on the other side there. Exactly. So Jesus is in the middle. I told you it's a wedding feast. Where is the bride and groom? Uh, uh, hmm, where are the bride and groom? Uh, are they just... Uh, uh, is this after the wedding? Are they perhaps consummating the marriage in, behind closed doors? Well, we think they must be over here on the left-hand oh, side. Course, right, but, you yeah. know, you'd imagine that they should be in right the in the middle. But yeah. it's not about their wedding is about this miracle Paul you noticed something really interesting the meat being chopped but yeah. the meat being chopped if you look carefully they're actually having their dessert you know they've got sort of fruit on the oh, table yeah. the meat symbolic what is the meat symbolic of? the body of Christ yes but more the, the, I don't know the, the, the religious is it body the sacrificing lamb th- situation it's exactly the sacrificing lamb situation because where is the meat being sacri- sacrificed cut oh right ab- above Jesus right, right above on the on the mezzanine or balcony right behind Jesus right yes. above his head he's being you know chopped up so you kind of have this knife poised in the mezzanine just above his head if you look down into the foreground you can see and it's kind of hard to identify this but I know this is what it is so I'm going to tell you this is like a, um, a sand uh, time you know those oh yeah an egg timer an egg timer sort of thing table between the musicians yeah. and this again it's also symbolic it represents you know time and you know how fleeting time is and of course so this painting to give you some context was painted actually Luke you said that they're all busy talking and having a good time but if you look carefully even though they're all sad there's 130 <laughs> characters in this and at the time you were paid by personage so this oh. was like a really expensive piece no one is talking it would have been silent because this is a piece that would have been in a monastery uh, in the refectory so it was these like very very wealthy sort of monks that have had this you know you're not allowed to talk when you eat for the monks so that have been contemplating this like really incredibly opulent piece um with lots of sort of symbolism lots of people they've painted in in these people around here are actually famous celebrities of the times you know kings and queens from other places which of course were not there um and this is veronese the painter in white playing that instrument there he painted himself in and all the musicians this is Titian who's another famous artist these are all contemporaries of Veronese who are all artists like he's so made them doing, into uh, it's like it's like uh, French comedy films where yeah. they where they have all of their French comedy celebrity friends like make a three second cameo yes. lots of cameos it also reminds me of the front cover of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band uh, to an extent the colours yeah the with all the colours and all these different faces lots of sort of I guess famous people all presented and some sort of a special occasion 
television uh, on display. It is, but we have to go because we do. We, you, the, we, what we've done is you've seen downstairs. We saw some sculptures. We saw some Renaissance. You have to come and see just quickly the French paintings before we go. These are the other really, really, really famous ones. But we've only got five minutes. We do, I'm afraid. <laughs> I also, I, I realised earlier on, I was talking about somebody playing a video game i realize that i think the louvre actually their audiobook is in form of a nintendo ds because everyone's got one around their neck uh so i don't know what that is i I guess you can maybe do like a cool like discovery thing it makes sense to have a video game kind of thing their little media guide where it gives you um information i suppose in different languages and you plug headphones in you can listen to an audio commentary and there's a gift shop as we walk past so i'm going to show you now Okay, so let's have a look at these French paintings. Um, the period that these um, these come from, we will find out uh, from Amber. Um, yes, listeners, there are so many things in this Im- amazing place. We can't cover them all, as we've already said. Walking, walking, walking. I wonder how many steps we've done. I'm just going to show you this so quickly. It's not the most famous painting by far in this room, but this is Francois I. And if you look up high in that balcony there, yeah. you can see the Belle Ferronniere, who was meant to be his mistress, and the Mona Lisa, just randomly painted in. It's just a random... Oh, so you've got the, the Mona Lisa and the... What was her name? The Belle Ferronniere. Belle Ferronniere, who was also painted, painted by... Uh, the Belle Ferronniere, the one with the, we, light, the we, light on her face. We saw her earlier. Oh, so, so in the corner. Oh, yeah, they've yeah been, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. So these two characters, from these other uh, famous paintings have been included here in a sort of, I don't know, intertext, bit of intertextuality there. Loads of these paintings are really fascinating with excellent stories, but I don't have time to tell you them. I'm just going to show you this one because it's so famous. Okay. This is the coronation of Napoleon, the second biggest piece in the Louvre. You see Napoleon crowning his empress, that's Josephine. This is the Pope, obviously looking pretty sad, as he should do. He wasn't in a good mood. This is Notre Dame, amazing piece of uh, painting by David who is a revolutionary slash Napoleon painter. Wow. You've seen it before, probably. Um, I, this one is less familiar to me, I th- um, but it is absolutely spectacular. And the, the period for this, which just to, uh, to well, I want to know, I always want to... Well, well, I'll tell you as we walk. It looks like Regency-era sort of stuff. This is the... 18, so Napoleon was crowned in 1804. Yes. And so the painting was... Commissioned at that point yeah. and painted yeah. a few years afterwards. Yeah. David, he's more—he was famous as a revolutionary painter. So he painted, you know, the Marat dead in the bathtub. You know that painting? Uh, I don't know. I'd know it if I saw it. Probably. He's kind of like lying in a bath and he's got his arm out. And Lady Gaga yeah. did it. Loads of people have reproduced yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. He painted that. Okay. And so he was kind of big with the revolutionaries and then he went to prison and then he kind of comes out and is big with Napoleon. He's got a lot of paintings in that room. That's his most famous piece. Uh, well, most recognisable is that Coronation of Napoleon. There's two paintings you have to see in here. We won't have, I won't have time to tell you the story, even though they're amazing, but you'll recognise them probably. Wow, some, some amazing pictures of, of, of battles here. Um, and then the Napoleonic Wars, no doubt. Um, some incredible scenes. Yeah, okay. This one, this one I recognise. So okay. So here we have another massive painting, and it appears to show some people trapped on a raft um, on on the on, um, on the open sea. It's a ter- it's, it looks like a terrible scene, an absolutely horrible scene of 
oh, I don't know what to say, really. Uh, they're all they're all on this raft in the out in the ocean. The waves are very high. Are they? Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, and it looks yeah. like some people have have have, have died on this raft. Uh, they're waving white sheets into the air, desperately trying to get help. Um, it's a desperate, desperate. Uh, uh, state of affairs that they're in it's horrible so amber so this was painted by jericho and it's it represents a true story and it caused massive scandal when he showed it at the time there was this big shipwreck and the there wasn't enough lifeboats for everyone so they made this raft and put on like 150 people obviously the poorest people you know it was going from france i think to senegal and they were going to tow it they didn't they they chopped it loose and it sort of uh, drifted for nearly two weeks I think and obviously the majority of people died they there was questions that they resorted to cannibalism you know it was just uh, it was just a, it was terrible Jericho he repaints this and in fact he went into great detail remaking the raft remaking the ship interviewing people that survived taking bodies from the morgue and watching how they disintegrated you know how they rotted and like painting it and he paints a moment of false hope so if you look in the distance you can kind of see this boat and they do get rescued by the English actually um, but not straight away you know that the boat goes to Senegal and comes back and so it was it was really shocking because of the subject matter because it looks so awful and so desperate and also because it was a comment on this French ship and this French fleet and just like ah oh, what's going on it was terrible but it's I, a really famous piece I've just realized that Jericho because for me Jericho is like J-E-R-I C-O or C-K-O like the spelling I've just it, I, when you said because I've never heard it said with an English accent yeah. Jericho Jericho, Jericho. Yeah. Yeah, so in, uh, in French it's spelled G-E-R-I-C-A-U-L-T Jericho whereas for us it's Jericho J-E-R-I-C-H-O as Paul said C-H-O that's it I, I couldn't figure out what the ending was yeah well what, what an incredible piece of work and yes as you study it you start to notice like things that are going on um, and the, you know is you know the, the some of the people are lying on top of each other are they dead or is one of them maybe taking a bite out of the other one Um, and and, uh, yeah wow really impressive stuff I mean, there was also a comment underlying it. You know, Jericho, this was the time of abolitionism. You know, he was an abolitionist, so slavery. The abolition of slavery, yeah. We see that the main man right there at the top waving his um, his sort of sheet, sheet of, you know, whatever, cloth. He's the hero in this story. You know, it's this an is... an H&M T-shirt. It's an H&M T-shirt. He's <laughs> taken off his teeth. <laughs> you know, he's black. So, you know, there is a sort of comment on, you know, he's our hero. He's, he's our saviour. He's the protagonist of this story, potentially so that's that's interesting from a we talk about you know representation in hollywood and stuff but here we have representation in um in a, a painting from the uh well a 19, 18th or 19th century 19th century yeah and I mean, uh, Beyonce, we talked about it earlier, you know, she came around the Louvre and she dances or her team dances in front of various paintings. And she was looking for representations of people of colour in mm. art. I mean, and let's face it, there's not that many. Not many. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah, many. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 One last one. Because yeah, you, can't, you can't. Yeah, I was yeah. going to ask you. I do have to go. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting for the delivery of the IKEA kitchen, <laughs> um, which is far. It's so drab. And anyway, here I am in the Louvre surrounded by these amazing works of art and you recognise that right I'm, my kitchen's going to be delivered what a come down anyway well you tell me do you recognise that I do recognise this 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 is a painting which seems to show um, 
a scene from the French Revolution, and it looks like a moment, probably the storming of the Bastille, the prison in Bastille, uh, which was a decisive moment in French history, and it represented that time when, you know, um, the the uprising, the revolution happened, and uh, there's a female character holding aloft a French flag over this scene of destruction and battle uh, and victory, and uh, yes, her her dress seems to have come loose and uh, revealing uh, two naked breasts, which is uh, something you, you do see this image a lot in France. You see it just in various places in adverts you know and name? so on. Is that is that Madeleine? It's Marianne, isn't Marianne, it? Marianne, Marianne. Sorry, that's what I meant. Mate, you got to get you. I know. I've got to get. Got to get ready for if you're French nationality. Jesus. I know. If I take the citizenship test and I get that question wrong, I'll be like, sorry, non, c'est pas possible. But uh, yes, uh, some some naked breasts on display. So I mean, I think probably for a lot of people coming in and looking at this, the first thing they notice is the is the boobs, is her breasts, uh, which are sticking out. So, well, is that significant, Amber? I imagine if you're in a battle, you, you might pop out, you know, but uh, <laughs> it's going to be hard to keep them to keep them in, you know, in, in, in all that struggle and stuff. But um, um, tell us about this, Amber. In terms of revolution, a bosom might pop out. I mean, they don't seem to be having... She doesn't, she's having a wardrobe malfunction, we could say. Yeah. Um, you're almost right. It wasn't the French Revolution of 1789. It was the French Revolution of 1830, the Trois Glorieuses, you know, where the it's a different revolution okay. um, although it doesn't really matter in a way it's this painting by Delacroix huge French painter uh, it's interesting because you know you see this is Liberty the goddess and also Marianne so she's Marianne the symbol of the French Republic Liberty and she's striding across the battlements you can see she's a goddess you know, she's got this perfect skin but she's uh, she's in profile her face like Greek statues that was considered better she's holding the tricolor flag in one hand and like a gun in the other like with a bayonet you know she is she's ready to go she's barefoot her feet are dirty her breast is exposed she has underarm hair you know this is like she's as goddess and a woman at the same time a lot of goddesses are completely you know epilated smooth and perfect they rise above things they're untouched by their surroundings and she very much looks like she's like in there and he was criticized for this because it was like this isn't how you show goddesses at her feet we see she's literally walking over the fallen and the people who have fallen are in disarray you know he's trying to show this just you know kind of awfulness you know this guy's got no pants on and no trousers or pants is it a dead body lying there yeah and he's he's got no trousers on yeah and another dead body lying with his ribs uh, 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 you know he's clearly uh, decomposing starting to anyway so yeah lots of disarray and uh, but there she's rising above it all, holding the tricolor, which is, uh, you know, billowing in the breeze. It's amazing. Exactly. You see Notre Dame in the background. Everything looks like it's on fire. And you see the representations of all parts of society. You see these children, this kind of gavroche figure from Victor Hugo. You see a sort of guy in a top hat. He's obviously wealthy. And you see this working class gentleman over here. So she's really leading all parts of society into this this next revolution, changing everything and of course she's the only representation of a woman in this painting you know it's very masculine but I mean sorry the character down at her feet this is a is this not a woman I don't think so I think that is also a man Okay. Although, I mean, it's an ambiguous, you know, you could say, could it be a woman? But, I mean, she's very much female in this very violent environment. Yes, yes. Fascinating stuff, Amber. Really, really fascinating. Thank you so much for telling us all about it. There are so many pieces in this room as well. That Delacroix over there. 
I mean, the Ingres paintings, um, really loads that you can go into. But they're kind of interesting when you can look at them for longer than a minute. But it, um, it, it, yes, because, you know, the temptation is just to sweep through this and look at, we've got to get all of them. Got to, it's like Pokemon, got to catch them all. <laughs> no, it's not. You don't, you don't have to do it like that, that way. Uh, you've got to just take your time. But it really helps to have someone who knows what they're talking about explaining it to you. And yes, it's really worth spending a bit of time uh, on each one. Um, um, and just a question: So, do you still do like guided tours in Paris? Are you, are you available? I am available for guided tours in Paris. Um, but you know, we tried to do this quite quickly. But I mean, you're probably quite tired anyway. Yes. Yeah, and I've got to. Um, uh, I've got to deal with the the delivery of our IKEA kitchen now, which is going to be. <laughs> perhaps more exhausting than this well we're now making our way back through the uh, museum we're going to go back to uh, the cloakroom to get our coats and bags and then we're all going to go our separate ways because we've all got things to do Amber's got to pick up um, is it Hugo? Yep. Yeah. so Hugo's in school we've got to, Amber's got to go and pick him up Paul's got to go and get what? Uh, well, I'm actually going to London tomorrow for the day. Uh, so I've got to go and, like, uh, reserve all my tests and stuff and fill out passenger locator forms. And I've yes. got to get myself a test today, blah, 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 whatever. And then I've got my live this evening. Yeah, your YouTube live this evening with uh, Nathaniel Drew, is it? Correct. Okay, the YouTube sensation, Nathaniel Drew. Um, when are you going to get Amber and Paul on the, the YouTube live then, Paul? Uh, Amber and Paul, that's, that's me. That's you, isn't it? Duh. <laughs> uh, when am I getting... You know what I mean, Amber yeah. and Luke. You, uh, you are both coming on on December 6th. Okay. Uh, did I say 6th or 3rd? I think you said 6th. Six. Six. Okay, so 6th. Uh, December 6th, Monday, 8pm French time. Uh, listeners, you can see me, Amber and uh, Luke uh, having a drink and chatting yeah. with you guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be fun. All right, so we're just leaving the museum now, back into the main, uh, the main area there where, we're, where we were at the beginning with the big pyramid. And so, listeners, that has been our very quick tour of the Louvre. Um, very quick in terms of the time and also in terms of the speaking speed, I think you'll all yeah. agree. I think we probably were going double fast for various reasons because there's so many things to say and not enough time to say them in. How long, how long is this podcast? Um, oh, it's now an hour and 30 minutes. Oh, that's all right. It's all right. We that's did an hour and 30. That's a pretty good... I think that's a, a, a really good... Uh, I mean, there's obviously a ton more stuff to see, but I'm happy I saw it after being here for 12 years, living next to it for two years. Is, never been in. Yes, I do think it's fascinating, especially looking at those larger paintings where there are many things going on and working out what the symbolism is and sort of speculating about what it all means. I do think that's fascinating. Um, very, very good stuff. Okay, well, I think it's probably time for us to say goodbye. I might add something at the end briefly in post-production, <laughs> but um, for this recording here and now, we're going to stop oh, where stop. we started. Yeah, we're back exactly where we started. Directly under the glass pyramid. Um, guys, thank you so much. Amber, especially, thank you for telling us so many interesting factoids. Uh, yes, thank you. You're welcome. It was a good, speedy visit. That was brilliant, Amber. Really good. We'll, we'll have to go on a like, lesser-known Louvre next time. Yeah, maybe some of the lesser-known highlights, maybe, next time. Paul, thanks for joining us. It was uh, really good was, to see you. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, thanks for being... I'm finally back on the podcast. It's been ages yeah. that we've all been on the podcast together. Amber and Paul are on the podcast. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Okay. Yes. 
All right, well, let's say bye-bye to all the listeners. Thanks, right. listeners. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, there you are. That was a whirlwind tour of the Louvre, wasn't it? And there was a lot packed into that one. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned a thing or two as well. Um, Remember, you can see pictures of everything, I think, uh, that we saw and talked about. You can see all those pictures on the page for this episode on my website and also on the YouTube version of this episode. And if you are watching on YouTube, don't forget to whack that like button with a with a hammer, if you like, or chi- a chisel or a paintbrush. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Click the like button uh, and subscribe as well. And don't forget to click the bell icon and all those other YouTube type things. Thank you again to the Pod Pals. It's always great to have them on the show. Maybe they'll be back soon. I hope so. Now, if you liked this, then you must listen to Amber's podcast, which she is still doing, by the way. I said this at the beginning of the episode, and I'm now going to say it again. So Amber's podcast, it's called Pan Am Podcast, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. I think, is it on Spotify? I'm going to talk to Amber about that today. I'm going to see her today, this evening because I'm recording this on Monday, the 6th of December. So this evening, I'm going to go to Paul's uh, studio to do his live, uh, YouTube live, and Amber will be there too. So I'm going to ask her, hey, Amber, is your podcast on Spotify? And if not, why not? I'll say it in the nicest way possible. Uh, like, Amber, is your wonderful podcast um, on Spotify yet? Uh, and would you like me to help you do that? Um, I don't think it is at the moment. But anyway, if, you, you, if you're if you using a normal podcast app, then just search for Pan Am Podcast. You can find the episodes, you can download them and listen offline and all the all that good stuff. Okay, so Pan Am Podcast, also the website, panampodcast.com. In her episodes, you can hear Amber telling some fascinating stories about the history of Paris and you can just enjoy the lovely, lovely sound of Amber Minogue's voice. So check it out. And, um, yeah, a reminder that Amber and I, well, this is one of those time sort of time travel things, isn't it? I'm actually recording this in the afternoon of Monday, the 6th of December, and I am in about half an hour, I'm going to leave and go to Paul's studio in order to do his live stream. Um, but you'll be listening to this after this date, so you can still watch the uh, the replay. Okay, so just go to Paul Taylor's Happy Hour Live on YouTube and find the episode from Monday the 6th of December 2021, of course, um, and uh, you'll be able to watch it. And I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but we'll be responding to comments and things like that and generally having fun together. Uh, thank you so much for joining us in this episode, everybody, um, especially you. Um, and let me know your thoughts and comments and responses to this episode uh, in the comments section on my website or on YouTube or wherever it is that you are, you, ha- you know, whichever bit of social media you happen to be using. Uh, I will speak to you again soon. But for now, it's just time for me to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.
If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.